You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So when I say the word church, what image comes to mind? Now, generally speaking, usually one of two images will come up. One, now, it's interesting. I did a Google search. I just did church. Over 3 billion returns came back. So I scanned all, no, I didn't look at all of them. Um, but so I, just, I saw, actually, I just went to images. And so I, I clicked over and saw, and there was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pictures of buildings, church buildings, big, little, small, urban, rural. Um, it, was there, it was all over the map as far as what was there. <clears throat> but but when I, so when we see this word church, one of the images that probably comes to our mind could be this idea of a building. Um, the irony of that is that the word church is never found in the Old Testament. Not once do we hear the word church used in the Old Testament. And although it's found in the New Testament, it's never in reference to a building. Jesus uses the word on two occasions. Once in in Matthew chapter 16, he's talking to Peter. This is after his death and resurrection. He's talking with Peter and he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Later on, a little bit later in the same cha- in chapter 18, <clears throat> uh, Jesus is talking, and um, he says, "If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they won't, if they refuse, if they still refuse to listen." Tell it to the church. And that if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So the church is used, that word is used over is 114 times in the New Testament. And it is always used in reference to a group of people. So that's the other common image that some of us might have when we use the word church. Clearly the idea of a building is, is reasonable because that's the name we've associated to it. But within a biblical idea of the word church, it's always in reference to a group of people. So it's also important to remember, though, that, um, that this idea of the New Testament church is not a passive image. So it's not just this social club. You know, where people get out and hang out and feel good and stuff. That when we're talking about the biblical understanding of the word church, we need to remember that the church is not a building, it's people, but it's people who are redeemed by Jesus to be his representatives in the world. The church is not just people experiencing Jesus, the church is people expressing Jesus seven days a week. So when we talk about church, it's not just being a part of a group and you have a membership in that group. It's you're part of a group that has a mission and a purpose and a cause. And the expectation is that you're part of that mission and purpose. Although the image of a building is a valid representation of the organized church, God's plan was not to empower an institution, but to empower people who would represent him to a lost and dying world. So why is it so important to make that distinction between a building and people? Um, Largely because there has been a development of that thought. Originally, the idea of 
God being part of a building was actually what we see more often than not in the Old Testament. But we do see in the Bible that there are three stages of how we understand God's presence here on earth. And so in stage one, we, look at, we, we consider this as God in there. And this is what we see in the Old Testament almost exclusively. Second Chronicles chapter 7, David has gone, um, he's passed on. His son Solomon is now king. Solomon is the one who has built the temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. God inhabited that building. He was in that in that temple. So God occupied a place. Earlier on when the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness, <clears throat> we saw that he that God occupied a, a tabernacle off made of tents and rugs and it was a mobile uh, a tabernacle, but God occupied that place. When Solomon built the temple as we just read, God inhabited that building, but God's presence was in a place. That's where people went to worship God because that's where God was. Then after a short period of time or for a short period of time, we enter a season where God with us. And this, some of you who are thinking ahead of me here a little bit realize this is, this is Jesus. God with us. God human, yes, but also um, Jesus Christ was, was uh, God at the same time. God with us. In Matthew 1, we read that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God walked amongst us. So during this period of time, there were no other accounts of God's activity outside of the life and ministry of Jesus. So it wasn't as if God was saying, all right, you know, God's, you know, the Father is saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, you go do your thing over here. I'm going to go over here and do this, and we'll, both the two of us will tag team. You know, it wasn't that at all. It was God's entire presence on earth was in the person of Jesus. His activity on earth was through in and through the, the ministry and person of Jesus. God with us. And that then obviously lasted for a short period of time, relatively speaking, which then brought us to stage three in this development, and that's God in us. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Then in Acts, we see the fulfillment of that. Acts chapter 2, suddenly a, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking to, to each other in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. God now lives within us. Now think about that for a moment. Used to be God was there. We all went to a building because that's where God was. We understand this idea of now God with us, the ministry of Jesus. But there was very clear instruction and guidance and provision that when Jesus left, this whole thing shifts again and now God is in you. 
God lives within us. I mean, when, when I ponder that for a moment, that's an overwhelming thought. God lives in me. No longer do I need to live in fear of the future. No longer do we have to feel like we're victims of circumstance. No longer do we have to be swayed by the cares of life. God lives in me. God is within us, and that changes everything. Everything changes because of that. The sad thing is, is that some people continue to live as if God's presence is still in a place. Um, I, there was a young man uh, who was um, part of my youth group back in the day, and uh, <clears throat> Maris, I saw him a few years later, and we were talking, and he made this comment. He goes, he goes I'm coming back to church as soon as I get my life back together. What's he saying? What, what's in all that? One, a couple thoughts that could be. One is he saying that the church building is where God resides, and in my current state, I'm not worthy to go there. Or he could be saying, I don't believe God lives in me. And so I just can't seem to associate. But either way, he's living under a weight that just is overwhelming, and it's a weight that he can never escape on his own. Because he has this perspective that somehow God is there and I've got, to, I've got to somehow measure up to that sense of expectation. I could see this perspective of God in there clearly um, while we were in Israel. Um, now I've got to do the proverbial, pastor has a couple pictures to show you of his trip to Israel. Um, so, in it, <laughs> so, sorry, it's, this won't be long, I promise, but... Uh, in images of my mind, remember the missionaries that come and show you slides that last an hour and a half and everyone, yeah, so this won't be that. But any of you recognize this picture? No, but that's good. That's a good possibility. It's the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. All right, so just by the very name, what do you think happened here? The birth of Jesus. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, if you remember back in the day when Jesus, you know, the time of the first free century of the early church, Christianity really wasn't this popular religion. In fact, it was considered heresy and there was people killed for their faith. And it was, a, it was not a good time to be a Christian. Until in the, the um, third century into the fourth century, Constantine became emperor. And if you remember your history, Constantine made Christianity cool. In fact, he made it the official religion of the land. And so everything changed for Christians in Europe and that Middle East and that part of the world. Christianity now was, was the religion. It was the cool thing. So all the politicians converted, you know, so it was a big deal. Constantine's mom went on a pilgrimage to Israel. And so she went there, and this was before the crusade. This was before anybody did this. But she went there because she was curious and because, you know, her son was the emperor, so she could. And it just, she started asking questions. And then someone said, hey, this is where Jesus was born. And I'll show you a little bit. And so what she did is she said, well, we've got to preserve this. So let's build a, t a church over the top of it. And so that all across Israel, at a lot of these holy sites, you've got these churches. So let me, okay, notice in the bottom right, um, there's a little opening there for the door. So let me see the next slide if I can, Connor. So that's the door to get in. They intentionally made it so you had to bow as an act of humility to enter into the, to the church, which interesting. I don't know that would play well in our culture, but I get it. Um, next picture. So this is inside. Uh, it's, it's, 
It's a fascinating building. This building actually goes back really, really far. Um, during this time period where the buildings were torn down and they, you know, an army would come in and, and conquer the place and they'd tear down all the buildings, especially all the places of worship. Um, it was understood that there was um, a Persian army that was coming through and destroyed every church in the area except this one because somewhere in this building was a picture of like the nativity and the three Persian kings. Remember the three wise men who came to visit? And so they said, all right, because you've got, we're not going to destroy this church. Um, so this church has stayed, but it is really, really old. Um, it's got some really interesting features to it. So back off to the right, so you walk in and off to the right is this stair. If I can see the next picture, Connor. And you've got to go down this really narrow stair. Um, navigate that. Next picture, please. Here it is. And so it's really, it, again, for my taste, it's pretty gaudy. Um, and, you know, there's incense and things. And, it's been, and next picture, please. The star marks the spot. That is the spot Mary gave birth. Now, my, my, uh, I got to be delicate here. Um, for many people, this is a huge deal. I mean, there, there are tears as they're encountering this experience because for them, this is a holy moment. For me, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's the spot, but that's how my process, you know, my mind goes and, and I just have a, uh, I don't know. Anyways, Betsy says I have issues is what it is. So, uh, but here, here, whether it's the right spot or not, here's what's happened. People have made that a holy encounter. They go here to find God. They go here to experience God and his presence. And while I in no way don't want to minimize that or diminish that for them, I mean, I, I, I get that. That's not what we need to be. I can under, for me, I appreciate the historical conversations. It's, wow, this was cool. We did come across a first century synagogue around the Galilee area that they just discovered in 2006. So, I mean, and they said this was, this is, this was built in the first century, maybe a little before, and there's only a few of these around. So when it talks about Jesus walking through and visiting the synagogues in the Galilee area, and I'm looking at the foundation of one of them, the odds that Jesus sat on that stone are pretty high. That was a cool moment for me. This, uh, you know, 400 years after the fact, someone says, this is it. Okay, let's, that's it. So, I get the history part of it, but this idea that we have to go there to find God and encounter God is one that I just, it's not, it's not biblical. God is within us. We don't have to go there to find God. God's within us. I think we can, we can go places, and I think we can have these encounters in our own homes, across the street, visiting with a neighbor, doing what we do at work. In those moments, we encounter God. We don't have to go to a place or to some holy site to find God. So what then is this New Testament idea of a church? As Christ followers, we carry the presence of God with us. So wherever we are, that is where the presence of God is active and at work. So if we want God to do something in a situation, all we have to do is show up. And the presence of God is there. Now, if you're like me, it doesn't often feel like that, if we're really honest. But some of that is just being able to, to trust and believe that God is in fact doing something and wants to do something in us and through us. As the people who make up the church, we are God's representatives. 
So within this idea of church, then there are some very specific implications. What does this mean for us? One of them is, is that the clergy are not the only ministers. Every Christ follower is a representative of Jesus and a minister of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Um, have I told you the story about the high school mission trip in the machete? I ever told you that one? I've, I've discovered, I, I, I have a possibility of repeating stories, but in this case, um, for those who haven't, um, Again, this is back in my youth ministry days. We're on a, a short-term trip. We're in uh, another country. And uh, we had two of our kids, uh, two girls, really, really quality leaders, very strong individuals. And, but they were in a section where they, were, they had machetes and were clearing some brush. And so the rest of us were over. We're probably uh, 100 yards away doing some other stuff. And out of the, this brush comes Michelle, one of the girls, just screaming at the top of her lungs, Help, help, you know, something's wrong with you, you know. And so we all know that they're over there cleaning something. And so I just, I'm, I'm flying as fast as I can run over there. Again, it's about 100 yards. <laughs> about halfway across this field, I'm getting there, I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do when I get there? <laughs> Those of you who know me, I don't do blood. I don't do injuries. I don't do this. This is, this is not what I do well. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to tell you what I'm about to tell you and a little, bit of sh- a little bit ashamed. But as I'm running, I notice out of the corner of my eye, Tim, another one of the leaders who is literally maybe two steps to my side and back here. I slowed up <laughs> just enough. So Tim was the first one to get there. <sighs> I think that's how many of us feel when it comes to sharing our faith. Offering to pray for someone, for God's blessing and anointing and power to be on them, it's like, I know I should, but when I get, what am I going to do when I get there? And it, the moment overwhelms us. And we shouldn't take our foot off the gas pedal. We shouldn't slow up to let someone else do it. Because why? We miss out on being a part of what God wants to do. Why let someone else have that fun of experiencing God working through them and in them in a situation when he might want to do it with you. We don't trust the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us, ready to empower us when we step out in faith. Is that scary? Oh, man, you have no idea how scary that could be. But I can never escape the fact that when I've stepped out in faith in those situations, after the fact, I'm like, that was one of the coolest moments ever. We miss out because we're afraid. But... The idea here that the clergy are not the ministers, we're all called to be ministers, and God wants to work through you to the people in your world, in your life, the ones you encounter on a regular basis. So within the New Testament idea of church, everyone is called and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Another implication is this. The church building is where we gather to celebrate, but we are called to go and demonstrate the love of Jesus. John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I love what happened a couple Saturdays ago. Um, a group of you went over to the Mungia's house to uh, help them get it ready to put on the market. They're selling and moving and... Um, painting rooms, power washing driveways and different things and basically helping them to get ready. I loved everything about that. Um, one, it wasn't my idea. Mike, I don't know if Mike came up with that. I don't know if someone talked with him, but Mike was in, hey, let, let's, it was his idea and he's the one that kind of went about putting it together. Um, no one waited for the pastor to organize it. I wasn't even in the country when it happened. We were in Israel. Um, and so no one waited on me to, to, to be there. The church, we didn't promote it as an event for everyone. It was, you know, someone became aware of a need, shared it with a few other people, and people showed up. It was all about people in relationship with one another, deciding to step up and help someone else. It was perfect. That's, the, what, that's what the New Testament, when it talks about church and the way the church should be and do, that is a perfect example of what the church looks like. It also looks like two people responding to a community post on Facebook and showing up to the home of someone they don't know to help them move. Just because they feel like something they should do. It looks like a few men who have a passion for grilling meat looking around to see how they might be the hands and feet of Jesus through giving their time and skill um, to help people in such a practical manner. It looks like people giving time to children on a Sunday morning so other parents have a break and can experience God in a service. It looks like people giving of themselves, demonstrating the love of Jesus in a hundred different ways that get very little recognition but have an incredible impact on the lives of other people. I love the fact that I've spent most of the time in this sermon on this one particular point, not trying to convince people that they need to do this, but actually telling stories and examples of how you're already doing it. You're already get this. And I know, and I know there's so much more being done both inside this church and outside the church that I don't even know about. So in the New Testament idea of church, all of us are called to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Number three, an effective, another implication is that an effective church is not about how many people are in the pews, but how many people are on mission. Actually, for us, it should be chairs, shouldn't it? How many people are in the chairs? But how many people are on mission? 1 Peter 4 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Have you ever heard someone ask the question, um, 
It goes something like this, maybe a couple different variations of it. But if this church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice? Um, the reference, it's in reference to, is, is there a community impact made by the church? Um, and the implication within that is that we need to be, as a church, we need to be engaging our, our community around us. For me, though, the irony of that question is that every time I've heard it, it's in reference to the organization. They're talking about if the organization disappears, would anyone notice? I think this is the wrong, I think the question, I think the intent of the question that I like, but I think it's framed the wrong way. I think a better framing of it might be if the people of Grace Covenant disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice? Because there's so much more that goes on outside the, the bounds of this particular ministry. I think that's the bigger issue, the bigger question. As individual Christ followers, our mission should not be limited to what occurs within the organization of the church. It's one of the reasons why I believe the church in the U.S. has lost so much of its influence. We've become so internally focused. Amazing thing and great sacrifice and people doing wonderful things, but we've lost this ability to influence our culture because we continue to disengage from it. That's why I think people should serve on school boards, volunteer with uh, your local Boy Scout troop or whatever else is out there, whether local community groups. It allows us just to have, and it's not with a political agenda. Sometimes people say, we need to do this to change things. And I think we need to do it because we love people. And it's the kind of thing Jesus would do. And if we followed, made a decision to follow Jesus with our lives, then those would be the kinds of things that we should do as well. Many of you already wearing, you've got, you should have received a button when you came in. Um, it says, I have to look at mine, make sure I get read it. I'm on mission. <laughs> Notice it doesn't say we're on mission. It's not about us as a collective group. It says I'm on mission. It's for you as an individual. <clears throat> it's a reminder that each of us has been called and empowered by God to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people that we encounter in life on a regular basis. Um, there's, I think I believe at the bottom of your outline, there's a little statement. Is there a statement that says something about it is time? I don't like that. Okay, I'm rewriting the statement. It's one of those things when you're actually going through this as a team, you know, a month prior, it seems fine, but actually when you get to it, it's like, yeah, I don't like this. Um, so here it is. Scratch out, it is time we stop. Okay, and in it, you can write, it's not about, so it's not about doing church, all right? So we've crossed out, it's time we stop, and added, it's not about. And I want you to cross off, and time we start, and replace it with, it's about. So in other words, I would propose a reading like this. It's not about doing church, it's about being the church in our neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, and wherever else life would take us. And the reason why I think it's, it's a change because I think some of it, many of us already get this. And I think as I'm looking at our group and our congregation, I want to reaffirm a value, not try to change your behavior, so to speak. Because um, I believe that the Holy Spirit's already working in us and through us to do that. And I just want to encourage us to continue going and to continue doing what God has called us to do. Again, I'm amazed at what happens when one person takes that step of faith, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. But just, you know what? 
hey, can I pray with you about this? Or can I pray for you? Or they just show up. There's no announcement. There's no notice. There's no grand design. They're just there. And in the middle of that, sometimes these very, might be perceived as kind of an insignificant moment. God can do some amazingly powerful things. And not all, and, and, and God does some amazing things in us, but through us. And uh, it's just, it's a very powerful, powerful way to live life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your love and mercy. Thank you, Father, for all the things you do for us on a regular basis. Father, thank you that you have called us not to be part of a club. Uh, We don't have membership, um, and now we have all these rights and privileges as members. Father, you've called us to be part of your mission here on earth. And the church, the collective body of Christ, is the means by which you intend to do that. And you've called us to be part of that. Lord, what an amazing thing. The creator of heaven and earth, a God who exists outside of time and space, has called each one of us as individuals to join him in his work here on earth. Father, help us to um, come to terms with that reality. Help us, Father, to even find that to be exciting, not overwhelming. Father, help us to recognize those moments uh, as we go through our days where we can see you doing something, and that we would, not, we would have the courage to step in to that moment. And uh, Father, regardless of the outcome, may we be able, to, may we be a people who join you in what you're doing here on earth. So Father, may we be a church. May Grace Covenant Statehood be the church, uh, the people of God for this community. And again, we just thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And it's in your name I pray. <clears throat> Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.